This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. Ahead of this week's episode, and in light of the murders of George Floyd, Tony McDade, Breonna Taylor, and countless other Black Americans, Lolly and I would like to say, unequivocally, that Black Lives Matter. We stand with protesters across the country, raising their voices about police brutality. If you are unable to protest in your community, please consider donating to your local chapter of the NAACP, to the Black Lives Matter movement, to Campaign Zero, or a local bail or mutual aid fund. We will link to organizations fighting for systemic change in the show notes. We highly recommend subscribing to Code Switch, The Nod, and the New York Times 1619 podcast to diversify your listening too. Since this week's episode is all about women-owned restaurants struggling during the coronavirus pandemic, you will also find lists of Black-owned restaurants to support in the show notes. We are committed to sharing Black women's stories on Women Who Travel, and will continue to do so throughout our podcast episodes and all other platforms. Hi everyone, and welcome to Women Who Travel, a podcast from Condé Nast Traveller. I'm Lale Arikoglu, and with me, as always, is my co-host Meredith Carey. Hello! This week, we're talking to two female restaurateurs about the realities they're facing today. Joining us from New York City is Moon Lin Tsai, co-owner of the amazing Kopi Tiam in Chinatown, and from Los Angeles, chef and owner of Nightshade, Mei Lin. Hi, everyone. Hi! Hi, how are you? (laughs) Uh, So happy to have you on today. So, Mei, over the past three months you've been forced to make the very hard decision to temporarily close your restaurant. And at the same time, you've been nominated for a James Beard Award for Best New Restaurant in Los Angeles. Yes. What's what's going on in your head right now? What what, what are you feeling? So the funny thing is, I'm actually currently at the restaurant deep cleaning. I mean, I come here basically like a few times a week just to kind of clear my brain because I can't sit at home. And, you know, I think, you know, everybody's in that same mindset right now where everybody's kind of wanting to move around and to do something because everybody's just kind of sick of sitting at home at this point. I don't know. It's just a little unsettling for me to be like, I've never really had this much time off before. I think a lot of people can say that as well. Um, so especially not to be able to do anything, not to be able to travel and not be able to, you know, just work in general is it's a little scary for, you know, a lot of people. I think that's really interesting what you said about how you've never had this much free time. And I 
when I think of what it takes to run a kitchen and run a restaurant, to be a chef is a very physical thing. Um, and you're on your feet all the time and you're running around and for, you know, very, very, very extended periods of time. What has that shift to suddenly being motionless felt like? I'm a very restless person, so I always have to be up and doing something. And so um, this is just kind of my way. Like, I'm, I'm just, like, coming to work and, you know, just cleaning, you know, every, like, a certain area every, every so often. So, like, it doesn't feel stale when we actually do come back, um, so to speak. And so just being able to just leave the house and come in to the restaurant and to just do random things like that. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that even, you know, what went into the decision to close for the time being? Well, for one, we did try the takeout model for the first week after we were forced to close. I I don't want to say like takeout wasn't really that profitable for us. We only had about six people on staff. It was um, myself uh, my general manager and my two sous chefs, along with two other cooks, it just, it didn't financially make sense for us to do takeout. But also I think giving people some time to kind of take off and to kind of reset um, was really important, but also like a social responsibility of, of just staying home mm-hmm. and not being around others. I think that was like the most important part of um, choosing to shut down. Moonlin, like May, this past year was really exciting for you too, right until the pandemic hit. Kopitiam was actually named one of America's best new restaurants by Bon Appetit in its Hot 10 series last fall. Now, as you're doing takeout on a limited menu, what does your restaurant look like? Oh my goodness, it's literally been a day-to-day where last year it was, it was almost a dream where we worked so hard to build Kopitiam up and we were getting you know, a lot of really amazing press and establishing a really great community. And then all of a sudden with all the closures and the mandates, it was just struggling trying to figure out how to pivot, how to sustain Kopitiam. Right now we're doing about five to 8% of our daily sales from what we used to be. Um, At the initial time, my partner and I, we were like, how do we sustain our entire team? You know, 80% of our team, they're high school teens. The other half, they're seniors in their 50s, 60s. So being in the more vulnerable ages, it was like, what is our duty and our responsibilities as restaurant owners going forth? So with that, my business partner, Keo and I, we decided to furlough everybody and take on the restaurant between the two of us. But anything we made, it would go back directly to the team. So with that, we were able to pay out our entire team for the remainder of March and then weekly in April. So we've been able to continually do that and it's been challenging. What has been sustaining us is my girlfriend Yin, she found Rethink New York City, which is a food program and we linked up with them and we've been making 300 meals a day for frontline healthcare workers. So it's just transitioning from, you know, a sit-down restaurant into a carry-out takeaway, but then making meals and then really focusing on retail packaging and trying to figure out how to tie in everything and finding enough time to balance everything. How has getting back into the kitchen and taking over all of those sections of the restaurant that other members of your team had been handling before, like how has that process been? What, what has that been like? So my partner, Kyo, she's in the kitchen mainly. She oversees all the food and it was difficult. We had, 
initially we're like okay let's see what we can do with our entire menu but just having one person in the kitchen cooking everything things were getting delayed people were getting a little upset but for the most part they were very understanding and then for the front so i balance taking orders and then making the drinks and the dessert section and then doing retail so it was almost going back into when we first opened kopitiam about two years ago where we thought we could do it with maybe two to three people so it was almost a restart and going back into our roots and just figuring it out again and though challenging i feel like it's been really humbling and kind of like a kick in the ass getting back into where we're getting a little more cozy and comfortable being able to take a little more time off but going back in it it's just like you feel that energy and that excitement of a startup restaurant again i guess it was sort of mid-march when the reality of kind of what was happening to the restaurant industry i think started to really sink in both obviously to restaurant owners but i think also to patrons as well and you wrote a really wonderful piece for Vogue about this experience. Now we're a few months further along. What does it feel like looking back at sort of the person who wrote that piece with everything that you've learned now? This is funny. I just reread that piece yesterday and I was like, wow, that was, it felt so long ago, but it's still very relevant. Um, however, what has come of it, I've seen more people standing up for the Asian American or just Asian community, a lot more allies, um, a lot more people really going into Chinatown and seeing how they can help out. My girlfriend and I, we started a food organization called Heart of Dinner, where we feed thousands of meals to Asian seniors in need of meal assistance. So that wasn't something that was planned and it just kind of go as the flow happened and just really figure out where to help and how to pivot and just really take the time we do have right now or lack of time to help those most in need. I feel like having lived in lower Manhattan for a while, there are pockets that are so community driven. And I think Chinatown is such a huge example of that. Like how has working within the community and then having your regulars and people who know and love your restaurant continue to support you? Like, what has that relationship been like? It's been the silver lining through everything. Uh, one of my favorite things when we were operating as a full-on restaurant was being able to see the regulars and talk to them. Um, but back then, it was more so kind of a quick chat because then I'll have to be like running dishes or whatnot. And now, because it's literally just me in the front taking every single order that comes through, I see the same people coming in every single day to support. So establishing friendships through this time with the people who I may or may not have been able to chat with has been wonderful. The camaraderie between restaurant owners in the neighborhood has been extremely uplifting and my favorite part of this whole thing. So, you know, through such an intense time, which can be very lonely and very isolating, I feel like we've built this network of people and community in the Lower East Side Chinatown area and I feel like these are friendships that are going to last probably a lifetime. You know, you kind of go through something so huge like this. We were liking it almost to Burning Man-esque where we'll look back on this in a little bit and be like, wow, we all just went through that together and we survived it together. And there is a type of just knowing like even if you're not stopping by but you see them on the street you'll know that you had that connection and so it's been really 
interesting where you're finding these little bits of light through the day. Are you looking for ideas to make your life happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative? Listen to Happier with Gretchen Rubin, a weekly podcast hosted by two sisters. I'm Gretchen Rubin, the number one bestselling author of The Happiness Project. And I'm Elizabeth Kraft, a Hollywood showrunner. Each week we share fresh insights and practical solutions, such as follow the one-minute rule, choose a one-word theme for the year, or design your summer. Listen and follow the podcast Happier with Gretchen Rubin. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. Um, You mentioned that you've been really amazed by the support network that other restaurants in Chinatown have sort of provided you and each other. Um, Talk about that a little bit more. Like, what is that um, support? How does it work? Yeah, so there's, um, it's been really fun in the past couple, I would say years, there's been a lot of great restaurants and eateries opening up. And a lot of these people, they're around our age, you know, maybe second, third generation Asian American kids who grew up in the industry. So for example, Golden Diner, Sam Yu, his parents own restaurants and now he opened Golden Diner and Helen Nguyen of Saigon Social. So Sam spearheaded this thing called the Good Hood Deals and it ended up being Golden Diner, Kopitiam, uh, Party Bus Bake Shop, Saigon Social, and No More Nolita. And I think just through that thing and having people buying these cars where each restaurant is making an offering, it was almost like a socially distanced treasure hunt. And having us be able to be on text threads together, just being like, hey, you know, someone just came by and did that. That was amazing. And then now transitioning into Heart of Dinner, where we have seven restaurant partners who are all local making meals with us. It's been really special. It's uh Having people who know exactly what you're going through, what the challenges lay ahead, having people to bounce off ideas with, uh, hey, what happened with the PPP? You know, did anyone get it? Or what's the deal with that? Ah, what the fuck happened? (laughs) So it's really nice having people, like-minded people, going through the same thing at the same time with you. May, in LA, is there any sort of group of other restaurateurs or chefs that you've been hanging out with during this time just to, like, help each other out? Yeah. You know, I've been talking to a lot of the different uh, restaurants around town, Kata being one of them. Um, John Yao's the chef there. He actually just started takeout back up. Antico. It's been a little hard because we've been hit with a, a lot of closures as well. Auburn being one of them and uh, Bon Tom's being another. Um, having closed in, in the last month is kind of been a little gut-wrenching because you know, one of them is a neighbor of ours and it's a great restaurant and to just kind of have that, that restaurant not be there after if and when this um, passes is honestly really bums me out. So Los Angeles, where obviously Nightshade is located, I saw just released its guidelines for restaurant reopenings. When the time feels right for you to open Nightshade, What do you sort of foresee that dining in experience to look and feel like? And how are you kind of planning to 
get creative? You know, it's, it's really interesting because I know this is like the struggle everywhere because, you know, we only have 60 seats in the restaurant. And so to separate six feet from one another is a little difficult. And so at, at one time, we could probably only seat about 20 people in the dining room. Um, and that's 20, like, max. So it's, it's pretty hard to even think about. Like, the financials just don't work. So in terms of dine-in, we're not going to open for dine-in until we have at least 75% capacity. But we're working, you know, the Independent Restaurant Coalition is, is working on that. And also, uh, we have like a, a city council that is kind of fighting to kind of push for those uh, different types of plans to be put in place. But yeah, so for right now, we're, we're planning on doing takeout. How are you coming at this takeout differently than the March takeout? Um, really just doing a little bit of meal kits mm-hmm. as well as some prepared foods as well. Just putting out more options, I think, but not putting out too many options where it overwhelms a lot of the staff. And Moonlin, I know that there's obviously time before those first steps in New York even begin happening. And you guys are doing takeout right now, but what will it take for you to feel comfortable having those dine-in guests back in the restaurant? So uh, basically everything that me said... We are able to seat 40, but our kitchen is tiny. So usually we can fit about four to five people in the kitchen. But if we're going to have to operate at a social distancing six feet, that means we're going to have to extend our back of house to go into our front of house, which then cuts down everything. And I don't even know if that's a possible solution. So I've been doing a lot of reading on other cities opening and their guidelines following closely with Los Angeles. The silver lining is New York because there is more public spaces, there's more public parks. Operating as a takeout method might still be very feasible. Um, We're working with a group called Design Advocates, which is a group of uh, architects and designers working with small businesses pro bono and trying to help these businesses reopen. It's looking like we're going to have to wait a little bit. Uh, Maybe we can do a sidewalk cafe through the city, just thinking of creative solutions to go through this time. I don't think we're going to be reopening anytime soon. It's just not really feasible for us. We'll sit, what, maybe eight people, and (laughs) that's not really going to do much for us. And then also protecting our team. So I think it's going to be a while, but we're just going to continue on doing the front line and having that help sustain us for a little bit and just seeing what's going to happen after that when every all the mandates are out. I'm Chris Murphy. I'm Richard Lawson. And I'm Hilary Busis. We are from Vanity Fair's Still Watching Podcast. Next up, we're watching the new HBO show, The Regime. Madam Chancellor, let's keep the gloves on. This is not a confrontation. We're just saying what's true. Academy Award winner Kate Winslet is our chancellor as she leads a faux European autocracy in turmoil. We'll be watching week by week as the regime unravels. And we'll be talking to the stars along the way. New episodes of Still Watching will drop every Sunday after the regime airs. I found that I've been surprised by some of the things that I've been craving in quarantine. And I think it's definitely because I've been sort of seeking food out as a source of comfort and I also have the luxury of it not being my career so food is always you know a comfort and a 
and a, a indulgence for me. Um, I'm interested to know what both of you have been turning to for comfort food-wise. It was funny because Kopitiam was getting to the point prior to COVID um, a little we didn't have to be on the floor as much. And so we were finally getting some downtime and I love cooking at home. That's what I would look forward to. I don't eat out a lot. I prefer cooking at home and just eating very simply with my girlfriend, sharing a meal. Um, ever since COVID hit, there has been no downtime. We've we've never ordered out as much as we have done now. Um, we're very lucky. We just went through a move last week, unplanned move. And so we're also really lucky going back on the community as support our restaurant friends were so kind to walk over and drop off meals to make sure that we were doing okay. And so cooking at home now is a luxury. Also nothing, we're still unpacked, so everything is just like a shit show everywhere. <laughs> so it's been a little difficult. So what little time we do have and we're able to enjoy a meal together has been really nice. My girlfriend, she's, for Buddhist reasons, she's 108 days of vegetarianism. So that's been a little challenging thinking of meals to share over the dinner table together and because we're both so busy running uh, the restaurants and also heart of dinner we haven't been able to share many meals together anymore so it's just finding the short times and getting the substance in and nutrition in a lot of shakes now um, so I'm looking forward to the day where I can have friends over and have a proper sit-down meal. I think just a lot of the foods that I grew up eating and haven't eaten in a really long time is kind of my go-to's but also just not having carbs for a really long time. I've been eating a lot of rice. And so, yeah, like those are, those are really things that are super comforting for me. I've been craving really spicy foods. Um, I don't know why, like literally the other day I was at home with my girlfriend and I just ate a chili, like a bird's eye chili. And then I never do that. So it's been very like hearty, flavorful, heavy foods. And I'm not sure why, but... Yeah, that's been my craving. <laughs> I feel like with spicy food, it's like confirmation that my taste buds are working and that this true, is really true. happening. <laughs> yeah, it's like kicking you in the ass, like, hello. <laughs> that's awesome. Exactly. I know there's been a lot of conversation about how we can support both restaurants and restaurant workers right now. What are both of your suggestions for what people who love eating out can do to make sure that the restaurants they love going to still are there when they finally get the chance to walk out their doors? I think just supporting restaurants by uh, purchasing gift cards, I think that's like one of the top ways to, to kind of keep the restaurant going and to support the restaurant too. Um, but, uh, but obviously, if, you know, if you're doing takeout, definitely order from your local place. Um, definitely support local business. Yeah, it's kind of, I don't know, it's a little crazy to even think about all this. <laughs> I know. Um, calling in instead of going through the third party has been very helpful. Um, New York, we just got it lowered to 15%, which is great, and that's a huge help. Um, but still, if we can offset it just by going all towards the restaurant, that's very helpful. Um, and I that 15% during, is the fee that they take, the right? The fee of, yeah, yeah the third-party delivery services. And I think something that is not transactional is just stopping by and saying hi and keeping the morale up. Because I think that's so important is we're in hospitality and we're here to make sure everyone is happy. But 
were really tired too. And so even just people swinging by and say, hey, have you eaten yet? Have you, like, do you need anything? That helps immensely. Yeah, so just establishing that community and also having patrons being a little more patient. You know, many times these restaurants are operating on a skeleton crew, things might take a little longer, but no worries, we'll get there. Just be patient and be nice. I think be kind is the overall takeaway. I feel like that's true of all things at this moment. I 1,000% agree, yeah. (laughs) Actually, one of my friends' restaurants here in LA, someone had given them a two-star Yelp review for the amount of time that they had to wait for takeout. And yeah, it was, it was insane. And I was just like, are you kidding me? And so um, but I guess that person got a lot of um, threats uh, via online. And so they actually changed their rating to a five-star. But I think it's just... Uh, to Why are you just, even writing negative reviews right now? Why are <laughs> yeah, you like have a little compassion love. with what's going on in the world and for other people uh. who are trying to run a business. You know, it's, I don't know, it's just a little... Go crazy. That person does not deserve restaurants. They, no. they, <laughs> they can cook at home. <laughs> yeah, they, a, a, li- a lifetime of cooking at home. Yes. <laughs> um, when, when we kicked off the conversation, Moonlin, you mentioned about something about, you know, the regulars that come in to your restaurant and the kind of, you know, that real community feel that you have when you're running a place that feeds people. And, you know, for both of you, I imagine that these brick and mortar spaces feel incredibly personal to you. What do you miss about them the most right now? I personally miss seeing everybody, but I'm also very grateful having a restaurant um, living in New York. You know, moving from L.A. where the space was like home space was about a thousand square feet to New York, where home space is now like 300, 400 square feet. It's become like my go away, it's become the place where I get all my work done. So it's just been very nice having that space, but also having people swing by. And yeah, I think I just miss having more people around and being able to check in on more people and just seeing people, even though we see people all the time now, but it's it's different when they're actually like within hugging. Distance, yeah. Yeah, distance (laughs) of you. (laughs) May, what about you? Um, you know, the same thing. It's just, it's been really hard not to, to see people and be able to, you know, kind of face-to-face interaction. I, I do miss, like, the, the day-to-day camaraderie and, and banter with a lot of the different staff. I'm hoping this will pass so we can get back to our normal days. You know, one thing on a different Women Who Travel project that we've been working on is asking women in our community how they've been finding their daily moment of joy. And I'm wondering what that has been for both of you. And it can be as small and as silly um, as you like. Traveling has been such a big part of um, me and my girlfriend's relationship. You know, we drove cross country moving from LA to New York, stopping by all the national parks. Um, Before COVID, we would take spontaneous trips up to what is it? Not Upper New York. What do you call it? Upstate, Upstate New York. <laughs> and so during this time, it's been really difficult. So we find the little moments by winding down with some tea together, or we'll just take a walk around the block. At least New York, there's still a lot of movement, whether for better or worse. And there's always things to see and people to you know wave from. So finding little moments and 
than dreaming about the trips that we will be taking in the future um, when this is all contained is what we're looking forward to. Yeah, I think for me, it's, I guess, just working out. I'm a pretty, I'm an early bird, so I get up pretty early. And so I get my day started pretty, pretty early. And so I try to get some, some type of cardio going. How early is pretty early? Um, 6.30. (laughs) I'm so impressed. (laughs) (laughs) That's wild. Yeah, people, uh, a lot of my friends are like, how are you awake right now? Like my East Coast, I'm like, wait, what? Are you awake? And I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm awake. And this is every day. It's like clockwork. It's like clockwork. Oh my gosh. That's wild. I'm I'm so envious because I actually have been, um, I've been having trouble getting up in the mornings. I sleep through all my alarms. Like, I can't, it's like my body has just decided, like, nope, <laughs> not interested. I have one final question to ask before we run through how people can keep up with you. But once this is all over, what is the first restaurant other than your own that you are going to eat at? Angler. Ooh. I think... I'm going to make a hop through all the restaurant partners for Heart of Dinner and finally be able to share a meal together with all of them. That's so great. Awesome. Well, so if people want to keep up with what you guys are doing, Moonlin, where can they find you on social media? Um, on Instagram, it's at Moonlinsai. Amazing. And May? Um, on Instagram, Twitter, at Maylin, M-E-I-L-I-N 21. Perfect. I'm at Oh Hey There Mayor. And I'm at Lale Hannah. Uh, Be sure to follow Women Who Travel on Instagram and sign up for our newsletter. The link to both will be in the show notes and links to support KopiTM and Nightshade will also be in the show notes. So please check them both out. We'll talk to you next week. We've all been there before. You're planning a dinner party or having family over or even just cooking for yourself when all of a sudden it starts to feel overwhelming. Uh, I live in a very small one-bedroom apartment with a very small kitchen. I can't figure out what to serve besides water soup at this point. I'm Chris Morocco, food director of Bon Appetit and Epicurious, and this is Dinner SOS, a new podcast from Bon Appetit. Maybe it's a last-minute party with no menu inspiration, a kitchen with no space, a toddler who will only eat buttered pasta, Name your dinner emergency. We're here to help. Here's how the show works. On each episode, we'll take a call from a home cook facing a real dinner emergency. Then I'll work with one of our editors or someone from our amazing test kitchen to try and solve it. Because cooking for the people you love should inspire joy without a side of stress. Make sure you're following Dinner SOS wherever you're listening now.